Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. And, uh, you know, it's important as we get into a teaching, or as we're in a teaching series on the book of Revelation and the end of the age, it's important that we have a biblical working understanding of who Satan is, and um, the Bible has given us a tremendous amount of information about who he is so that we could understand our opposition, so we could understand our adversary, (coughs) that we wouldn't uh, inflate him to be something that he's not, but we would also not consider him a chump or easygoing or some you know, somebody that we can just easily overcome. Uh, We are uh, wanting to get clarity from the word about this uh, foe because there's a tremendous amount of information that the Bible gives us about him. And it's so that we can be equipped. That's what the word of God is for, is to equip the believer for everything that we need in godliness and in our understanding and even in our uh, uh, preparation for what's coming. And so tonight, I really want us to be looking at this as kind of a a study in who the Bible says Satan is, and then how he fits right into the end time scene, and and specifically where we were in the last session uh, in Revelation, when we were talking about the war that starts in heaven, and then in the next session, we're going to talk about that war moving from heaven to earth, but I just felt like we needed a session in between to talk about who it is that's in charge of this war, at least on the enemy side. So Satan's uh, past and future. So here, just some biblical names and descriptions of Satan in the word. I gave you the uh, Bible references for all of them. The serpent, the enemy, Beelzebub, the prince of demons, the evil one, the father of lies, murderer from the beginning, the tempter, the thief, prince of this world, ruler of the kingdom of the air, Leviathan, and the angel of light. These are from all throughout scripture. There are others as well that I'm confident you could find. I wasn't trying to give us an exhaustive list. I was trying to give us at least a starting point to recognize, especially when you look at the different uh, references there and where they're all found, they're all over the Bible. This is something we've got to uh, make sure that we're clear on is the person of Satan has been a significant part of the storyline of humanity from the beginning and even before that. And so uh, obviously not a good dude, but it's good that we can give a little overview there and see who he is in the word. Well, let's move now to Revelation because I specifically left out all the Revelation verses. Uh, part B, Satan revealed in Revelation. Chapter 12 mostly, but also in chapter 20 and a little bit in 16 and 13. Um, he is, uh, he's uh, made known his... Uh, his personality, his uh, desires, titles, all those different things are given. Uh, So I gave you a few there. Satan, the devil, the accuser of the brethren, the ancient serpent, the one who leads the whole world astray, an enormous red dragon. These are uh, terminology points that we see in Revelation, and it's it's important that we've got those as kind of a backdrop for where we're going to go tonight and what we're going to talk about. But uh, the, the main focus that we've got for uh, tonight is uh, really kind of based out of Revelation chapter 12, verse 3, and that is he's, he is described as a terrifying dragon, enormous, 
powerful, filled with authority and rage. And uh, so just reading that verse to us real quick, Revelation 12, verse 3, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. And I'll just give you a little insight here. We're going to, a little tidbit, we're going to cover the seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns a little bit later in this session. So I'm just going to kind of skip over that for the moment and just uh, identify him as this enormous red dragon. Now, Here's an interesting um, uh, parallel or, or, or opposite dichotomy. Very interesting. The dragon or, or Satan referred to as the dragon, he's referred to 24 times in the book of Revelation as the dragon. 24 times. Just to give you a little bit of a comparison, he's only referred to Satan eight times in Revelation and five times as the devil. So as a little takeaway, we could go the primary revelation of Satan in the end times, the primary revelation of Satan in the book of Revelation is him as a dragon, all right? But we've already talked about this in a past session. The primary revelation of Jesus in the book of Revelation is as a lamb. So you've got a few other references. You know, obviously he's called Jesus a few times. I gave you uh, the answer is there. He's 14 times Jesus in the book of Revelation, three times Son of Man in the book of Revelation. He's called a few other things as well. But the predominant theme of who Jesus is in the book of Revelation is the Lamb. Now, I want you to imagine this end-time war being led by a dragon and a lamb. And just think about that picture and how lopsided that picture looks. That's exactly how powerful this Lamb is. I mean, we want to get that picture. It's actually on purpose. It's almost like embarrassing to Satan. Satan puffs himself up. He's this huge dragon. It says an enormous red dragon. He's enormous. He's red. He's, you know, he's got just such rage and pomp. He's, you know, uh, beautiful and and all all the details of this massive serpent. And then you just imagine this like lamp. It's like, I don't know, two and a half feet tall, lamb. And they're going to go to war. It's like the, the, the lamb's like, bah, and the thing just falls over and dies. I mean, it's unbelievable the picture that we're given here because the climax of the whole of human history is the book of Revelation. The climax of the whole Bible is the book of Revelation. This war that's going to happen at the end of the age, this big war, it's incredible. Who's fighting? A dragon, this enormous red dragon with seven heads. Oh, who's he fighting? Two foot tall lamb. I mean, it's like, wow, really? You just imagine that picture is actually how the world will see the fight. That's actually a pretty good picture of how the world will be viewing this. He's got all the power. He's got all the authority. He's got all, he's got it all. He's filled with rage and who goes to battle and fights and wants to win without some rage backing him? The dragon has got everything. And then they'll look at the lamb and go, who is this lamb? Who's your Jesus? Who is, who is he? He's not even really on the scene. We don't see him. And, uh, and that's a, a really pretty good picture there. So if you're, you just want kind of one of the, the proverbial takeaways of the book of Revelation, the primary revelation of Satan is a dragon, primary revelation of Jesus is a lamb, and the two of them are going to fight, and the lamb is going to kick so much butt, it's not even funny. So there you go. All right, now, as promised from a couple sessions ago, 
we're going to do the storyline of Satan's position and access related to earth and heaven. Okay? And we're going to do, you know, line upon line, if you will, Bible verse upon Bible verse, uh, what that has looked like throughout history according to the word, where things have been, where they are now, and where they're going. So rather than waste any more time, I'm just going to jump in on that. First of all, I want to start with, it's important that we get this because of the next reference. There have been ages, ages, not one age, there have been ages before humans. Ages. So let's just read the verses. Uh, Romans 16, 25, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past. Long ages past. More than one age before Paul wrote the book of Romans. Ages past. Long ones. Second, Ephesians 3, 9. Uh, 3, 9 this is Paul again. To everyone, the administration of this mystery, for which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. I'm just trying to establish the clear point. There were ages before humans. At lots of time. So there's a, there's a whole lot of history before humans got on the scene. Okay? Why does that matter? Because John 4, uh, 8, 44 says that he was a murderer, Satan, from the beginning. So Satan, from the beginning, ages before man, Satan was a murderer from the beginning. So Satan has been operating and doing stuff as a murderer for ages before mankind. And we don't know exactly when and how all that fits in, but I just want, to, I want you to imagine Satan as a murderer pre-humans, okay? The period of time before mankind, Satan existed and he was a murderer, all right? And the father of lies, all right, keep going. So now let's talk about Satan in one of those ages past, okay, somewhere in that timeline, before the fall of Satan. Now, I, I want to point this out. I've got Luke 10, 18 here, uh, top of page three. Jesus, during Jesus' earthly ministry, I just want to tell you, this whole section, you got to pay attention or none of this is going to make any sense. You got to pay attention to the details. Otherwise, you won't follow the chronology, and this is just going to be words. You won't hear it. Jesus was alive as a human on the earth, and Jesus, while he was alive, said the following, referring to the past. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So Jesus, while on earth, is describing a time period before that where he witnessed Satan's fall. Okay? I just want us to catch that. So now let's look at Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, which describes that fall. Okay? Now, I also want to give a little disclaimer here. I think Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, is the most layered description of Satan and the Antichrist in the Bible. I think it's the most layered description because this passage is, is it, it is multi-layered. It refers to probably four or five different events, not one. There are layers. It, first of all, it refers to, the, in the context, it wasn't Isaiah. I'm not confident Isaiah even knew he was talking about Satan. He, maybe he did. But he for sure knew he was talking about the king of Babylon, who he was prophesying about in that hour. Okay. So primary, contextual, he's referring to a human leader, the king of Babylon. 
Okay? But he's then also prophesying about the Antichrist at the end of the age. Because he starts describing some specifics that are unique to the Antichrist. But then, I mean, this is actually the passage that we get the word Lucifer. This is the this, this is the term, if you're if reading out of the New King James, this is where we get that name, Lucifer, the angel of light kind of concept. We get it here. We're describing Lucifer, but we're describing him as a past fall. But then it's also prophesying about a future fall. So the reason I want to give you all that, it, you would be uh, remiss to look at this passage one-dimensionally because there's more going on than that, a lot more going on. Now, that's important for you to know because if you get super rigid, you're going to throw out all the other pieces of interpretation that are also meant by this passage. And so it's layered and it's, it's, uh, it's complex. So I just want us to know that. Uh, Isaiah 14 is complex related to Lucifer and the Antichrist and the King of Babylon and the future. Anyway, I'm going to keep going. All right. So uh, after the fall. So anyway, all of that so far describing Satan and the time period uh, before the fall or even of the fall. It's describing that. Jesus saying, I saw Satan fall from heaven like, uh, like a star, okay, or like lightning. All right. Now let's talk about after the fall, okay? After the fall, after the revolt and the fall, he was positioned on earth, but he still had access to heaven and to the throne room. So let's look at this real quick. Okay, now this is Genesis 3.1. The fall has already occurred. The, the, uh, the moment that Jesus was referring to, I saw Satan, you know, fall like lightning. That's already happened by the time Genesis 3 has happened, is occurring. That moment of uh, Lucifer and his rebellion, that's already happened before Genesis 3, okay? Now in Genesis 3, the serpent was on the earth, and it said the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say to you, you must not eat any tree from the garden? So this is Satan on the earth during the, uh, the, the period after the creation, okay? He's on the earth. But look what it also says. This is now in Job. Job 1, 6 through 7. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Like it was no big deal. Satan came with them. I mean, it wasn't like a, and the craziest thing ever happened. It's like the angels came to present themselves before God to give reports, to give like updates on what's happening in the universe. And Satan is part of the entourage. He's part of the group. And God talks to Satan not like you and I would. I rebuke you, get out of my room. I mean, we would be like having a, like a crazy fit. We'd be having a little bit of a conniption. God's talking to Satan like it's normal for Satan to be up there and talking to him and them, and them conversating. I mean, to the point where it says they all came and presented themselves and the Lord said to Satan, hey, where have you come from? And Satan answered from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. This is Satan describing his earthly positioning. He's on the earth roaming about. That's where his position is. So this is the time period of Job. Satan's placement is on the earth. But here we see he's also got access to heaven. So during this, I mean, this one passage tells us he's got access to both heaven and to earth. Okay? And this is during the time of Job. All right, but let's keep going. During Jesus' time, I don't know if you guys caught it, 
But when Jesus was tempted in the desert by Satan, that meant Satan had to be there. So Jesus was tempted during Jesus' earthly ministry. He was tempted by Satan. He's talking to him. He's in the flesh or whatever that exactly looks like. He's conversing. They're having a dialogue. It's not spiritual, you know, whatever. It says Satan took him <laughs> to this place or that. Satan and Jesus were interacting very like person-to-person-like, okay, on the earth. So there is another place where we see Satan's ministry having great jurisdiction on the earth. I'm just trying, in this whole passage or this whole uh, section, my objective here is to paint the picture and the chronology of where Satan has been and what he has access to related to heaven and earth. That's my whole point here. Because we need to get to the point where we get to Revelation 12 and he is cast out of place in the heavens and no longer has connection to it. No longer can go there. And now he's only on the earth because that's where this is headed. All right? After Jesus' time, we see here, and I just, I want to give us just the, you know, history of the church here. Paul now, after Jesus, Ephesians 2, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, then also Peter chimes in, gives us some uh, information here. It says, you follow the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. So now here's Paul giving us some theology about Satan being the one who is ruling over the heavenly realms, over the second heavens. He's got the powers of the air. He's got authority and jurisdiction in that realm, at least in this uh, period of time, okay? But he's also called the God of this age, the next uh, verse. First Peter describes him as your enemy, the devil, prowling around like a lion trying to devour. Well, that sounds just like the language of the, uh, the Job account where God asked, jo- uh, God asked Satan, where have you been? He said, going back and forth, roaming about in the earth. This is the same idea. It's, it's the same. He's got access to the heavens and he's got access to the earth. That's where Satan's jurisdiction right now in this present age, that's where Satan's jurisdiction is. He's got access to both. But then comes the war in heaven, Revelation 12. And then it says this. Satan was not strong enough, him and his guys, and they lost their place in heaven. It doesn't say they lost the battle in heaven. That's obvious. It says the consequence of losing that battle was now they no longer have access to it. They've lost their place, as in right before that they had a place, and now they don't have a place. They have a place right now. Revelation 12 is a future war, and when it happens, they will lose their place. And the immediate ramification is they lose their place, and they are cast and banned and restricted to the earth. That's why immediately it goes, woe to you, earth and sea, for the devil has been cast down to you, and his fury is great, and he knows that his time is short. See, it's a very different uh, uh, transition in demonic history, if you will, in the, in the history of Satan and how he interacts. He's always had access to both. And when this war happens, Revelation 12, he loses access and he knows his time is short and he is raging and furious. And that's what everything that comes out in the end time drama from the enemy camp, it's all from that position of, oh no, you didn't. You did not just kick me out of heaven. You did not just ban me to the earth. You did not just restrict my access. Do you know who I am? I'm Lucifer. 
son of the morning. I, who do you think you are? And he's raging, and he knows his time is short. So that's the storyline, but it doesn't end there. Let's keep going. During the millennium, I mean, I'm telling you, there is a lot of information about Satan, where he is and what he's doing at what time in what age. I mean, we're talking about spanning at least three different ages here, maybe four, okay? No, four, at least four, maybe five, all right? During the millennium, he threw him into the abyss. This is uh, the angel. Throws Satan into the abyss and locked it and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he'll be set free for a short time. So check this. During the millennium, we see once again it's like Satan just keeps losing more and more ground. You know, he started off as like Lucifer, you know, this angel of light and worship. And, and you know, all he's ever wanted was to be God and to be worshiped as God. And just as the ages keep going, it's like he keeps getting a worse deal and a worse deal related to his primary objective. It just keeps getting worse for him. He, he keeps getting further and further away from his primary objective. So now it's during the millennium, he's locked in a prison for a thousand years. I mean, Satan thought it was bad to be on earth and bound to the earth for that three and a half years. He thought that was a bad deal. Now he's locked up for a millennium. That is worse for him. That is horrifying. He's just in there mad and yelling at the wall. I mean, he's, he's like really, really ticked. But again, I'm just like, I'm, I'm blown away by the, the level of detail that we're given about Satan's jurisdiction, power, authority, realm, and influence, and posture and position at each step in the redemptive history of mankind and even before. It's so interesting. So now we're told geographically, now he's lost access to both earth and heaven. Now he's stuck in the abyss for a thousand years as prison. But after that, he is allowed to be released from his prison. Top of page five. Satan will be released from his prison and he will go out to deceive the nations, to gather them uh, for battle. In number, they're like the sand on the seashore. You just imagine at this point, he's so excited, but it's such a false hope. And I don't know about you, <laughs> some of us in this room that have really dealt with expectations and hopes and false hopes and denied and not in my house, sort of, you know, denied. There have been, it, it is painful to get your hopes up. Then to have circumstances align that make you for sure think you were right. Those expectations I had were right. And you give yourself to it all the more. And then bam, swat it down right in front of your face. It's like the worst ever. And so I had never seen this before. I think part of what's happening here, it is by no means the fullness of the story. There's so much more to it. But I think part of what's happening here is the humiliation and the pain of that loss and the ache of finally broke through. Finally, I'm out of prison. Finally, I, and even given that opportunity, it looks like he's finally going to get his desires and he's going to finally conquer God. And then just boom, it's swatted down in a second. And then the final destiny right after that, going from what looked like a hopeful conquering of God and the earth and all of uh, Satan's purposes, what goes from a hopeful conquering is immediately an eternal banishment into fire and punishment. This is the story of Satan. So I want us to all know 
where it's going and where it's been. And I want to tell you that war in Revelation 12 is a really, really important thing that we understand. It is a future war. And when Satan is cast to the earth, that's when his rage and his fury will be great. And the world is told, woe to you, for he has gone down to you. Okay. Well, let's now get a little bit back into this uh, Satan as a seven-headed dragon thing. Okay. Now, this is kind of interesting. I mean, super interesting if you spend the time looking at it and then think about the ramifications of what this means. The descriptions of the beast in the book of Revelation and Daniel as well, and the description of Satan as a seven-headed dragon are the same. You read the verses and you're like, wait, I thought that was the dragon. I thought that was Satan. And you read in this verse like, wait, wait, that's the Antichrist. For sure, it says the beast that, wait a minute. Why are they both being described the same? I'll give you a hint. Why are Jesus and the Father described the same? There's a little hint for you. There's a little tip off. So let's look here. We've already seen, remember we read Revelation 12, verse 3. Uh, if you need the little refresher there, that's when it said uh, 7, 10, and 7 as far as the heads and uh, crowns and horns, okay? Well, that's, and that's talking about the dragon, Satan, for sure. Now let's look at all the places that describe the Antichrist using the exact same language, okay? Because all of this is helping us to see what's happening. What's happening in the, in the Great Tribulation, Satan is projecting everything through the Antichrist. He's finally getting his moment on the earth. He's getting three and a half years. All right, so here's the beast that comes out of the sea, Revelation 13.1. I saw the beast coming out of the sea. This is the beast, the Antichrist. He had 10 horns, seven heads, and 10 crowns on his horns. And each had a blasphemous name. That's the exact same language as the dragon. Exact same language. Then we see the scarlet beast with the blasphemous names. Again, this is the Antichrist, but now we're in Revelation 17. It says, I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. But remember, the dragon has got the seven heads and the ten horns and the seven crowns on its heads. It's the same deal. Uh... All right, yeah, I gave you that. It just says the same thing over and over. Okay, uh, now let's go to the beast in Daniel. So Daniel chapter 7, verse 7, and then also in verse 20. A fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and it's devoured and it, its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts. It had ten horns. I wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up from which before the other three fell. The horn that looked more imposing than the others, and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. This is talking about the Antichrist. But he's got the same kind of horns and crowns and heads as, as the dragon. See, just, just kind of get this. The dragon, the beast. There's a reason that these two things are like very similar pictures. Because the same spirit is in operation. It's the same DNA. I mean, it's... Yeah, I don't want to touch on that yet. We'll get there in a minute. All right, I want to just throw out a Bible verse. And I'm not trying to get dogmatic about this point. I just think we would be foolish to not see it and recognize how it touches the conversation. Okay? John 8:44. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out what your father's, uh, what your father's desires. 
So this is uh, Jesus in that passage. He's talking to the Pharisees. But I just want us to point out the concept of Father Satan. I just want to see that, okay? And the influence of that, and the influence of that seed, and the, the influence of, of that father figure, okay? Now, the Antichrist, I just want us to understand, and I, I think it would be good for all of us as we try to journey through eschatology to really see what that term Antichrist means and see it not so much as a nickname, but as a description. Antichrist. Everything about him is anti, the opposite of who the Messiah is. But it's like the Messiah. It's just anti. So it's, if Jesus as the Messiah looks like this and does this, the Antichrist would look like this and do like this, but opposite. But not be a completely different thing. It's not like you've got Christ and then you've got this Antichrist, but the Antichrist is just a bad guy. He has nothing in common with the Christ. No, he's called the Antichrist. We want to be thinking, I, I think for our sake, it would be better for us to retrain ourselves to stop calling the Antichrist the Antichrist and start calling him the beast whose description is that he is the Antichrist. It's a description of who he is as opposed to the title of who he is. You got me? And so, I mean, of course, we can still call him the Antichrist, but I think it's important that you, you catch that. It's a description of what he's like. So if Jesus has a father, it's not a stretch to think that, Satan, that Antichrist would have a father. Okay? If Jesus was empowered by the father, it's not unthinkable to think that the Antichrist would be empowered by his father. If Jesus ministered for three and a half years, it would make sense that the Antichrist would minister for three and a half years. There's a lot of similarities here. I mean, there's a, you start doing the math and going down the list, and there's a ton there, and, uh, and so he does. The Antichrist has got a three-and-a-half-year mission. He's able to exercise his authority for 42 months. You do the math, that's three-and-a-half years. Jesus' earthly ministry, three-and-a-half years. So I just want us to understand he is an Antichrist. So think, who, who is Jesus? How could you do everything he is and just do it bad? Okay. So you want to be thinking about, like, we've got the concept of, you know, uh, like divinity, Jesus's divinity. You want to be thinking of antichrist satinity or whatever. I mean, you want to be thinking about the endowment of, of, of Satan into a man and who he is and his forming. And, all. and we actually know that the antichrist comes up out of the abyss well, Jesus came down out of heaven. Are we catching it? Are we seeing it? So I just, I think it would be helpful for us to be retraining ourselves related to thinking about the Antichrist. Let's not think of him as a bad guy like Hitler times 10. Th that's not even a close to comparison. Think anti-Jesus. That's what you want to be thinking. The anti-Messiah, okay? Because that's actually the description that we're given. Okay, now... Satan's relationship to Antichrist. This is where this connection gets deep and crazy. I got to move fast here. Together, Satan and Antichrist will lead the world astray. I'm on the top of page seven. The great dragon who was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. I want you to see Satan leading the whole world astray. Antichrist. The whole world was filled with wonder and they followed the beast and they also worshiped the beast. This is now Satan and Antichrist operating in league together to get 
the world led astray and operate according to the purposes. Just like Jesus and the, Jesus did nothing that he didn't see his father doing. You catch it? Okay. The dragon watches the rise of the Antichrist. So you don't want to be thinking of like, you got Satan and then you got the Antichrist and they're both bad guys in the storyline. Satan is standing on the sea watching the rise of Antichrist with great uh, gaze. I mean, he is really paying attention to who this person is that's rising up out of the sea. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. Satan's standing right there, almost beckoning. I mean, we don't know how all that works. We know this. God gave power to Jesus to raise himself from the dead, but it was God's power. Well, here we now have Satan, who act, uh, uh, Antichrist, who actually raises from the dead. Same deal. He raises from the dead under a power that he's got permission to be able to do it. So there's, there's the dragon watching all this. The dragon will give his power to the Antichrist. The dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, and great authority. The dragon gives to Satan, uh, gives to the Antichrist, just like the father gave to the son, okay? The people will worship the dragon because of the Antichrist. Check that out. They're so excited about how awesome the Antichrist is, they worship the dragon and they go, good job, dragon. You did awesome by giving so much power and authority to the Antichrist. That was really good. People worshiped the dragon because... He had given authority to the beast. And then they also worshiped the beast. But they worshiped the dragon because they saw that he had given authority to the beast. The devil and the Antichrist share the same eternal fate. I gave you that one already, talking about them being thrown in the lake of fire. But I just want us to see the connections here, the connections of, of these two. And lastly, let's touch on it. We won't uh, have time to develop it fully, but I will just give you the, I'm going to give you the, um, the, the couple of points. We won't actually cover it. Uh, interpreting the mystery. Revelation 17, 9 says, this calls for a mind with wisdom. And it's talking about the mystery of the seven heads, the 10 crowns, and the seven uh, horns. And in other cases, the 10 uh, uh, horns. It's, it's giving a, uh, it says this is a mystery and it calls for a mind with wisdom. Now, I just want to tell you this. If the Bible says this calls for a mind with wisdom in order to understand the mystery, the mystery is understandable by anybody with a mind with wisdom. Simple. And how do we get wisdom? The Bible. So where's the answer to what these seven, ten, and seven things are? In the Bible. It interprets itself. Okay? I'm just going to give you really simply, because we don't have time to cover it right now, because we're already over time, but I'm going to give you real simply what is going on here. There's two different pictures, and I gave you all the verses so you can go and look at it and see it. There's two different storylines. The first storyline is seven kings and seven empires. Then the second storyline is 10 kings and 10 nations. Seven kings leading seven nations or seven empires. Then you move over, 10 kings leading 10 nations. The seven is historical. It's the seven, if you will, the seven empires through which Satan was uh, um, uh, moving in his rage, moving in his authority. He was moving throughout seven historical empires, and there were seven leaders over that. And so this dragon has operated in seven different empires, and uh, and all the seven talk is the guys that he was using and kind of manifesting through, if you will. That's historical. So when it's talking sevens and sevens and sevens, historical. But then you're talking future. It's tens. Now at the end of the age, 
Antichrist is going to have 10 kings over 10 nations, and they're going to do his bidding in the last bit of the drama. So when you're talking about the sevens, it's historical. When you're talking about the tens, it's future. And it's the end time drama, and it's these 10 kings. These 10 kings, by the way, are going to be the, the root. They're going to be the start. They will not be the fullness. They will be the beginning of the Antichrist empire at the end of the age. They will be the starting point. He will be given 10 uh, kings that have 10 nations, and those 10 nations will start the league of Antichrist that will be the starting point to take over the whole planet, okay? So whenever you're looking at the sevens, it's historical. Whenever you're looking at the tens, it's future. But check this out. The dragon is described with all of it going on because it was always in him. It was always who he was. It was always his identity, his destiny was always the historical journey to get to this point and the future pomp at the end of the age and the raging and then eventually he's dead and he's killed. And so he's described both historically and future just like all the Bible verses that we just got done reading uh, in, the, in the middle about where he was, at what time in history. He's got a historical history and he's got a future history, okay, uh, as far as the storyline. All right, so... There you go. Well, let's break up into groups. Uh, how many groups we got? We got four groups tonight. For, uh, time of Q&A. I'll do my best to repeat the questions for those that are watching online or those that will uh, hear the recording later. And so uh, we can go ahead and uh, wrap up those conversations. We'll go into our time of Q&A. Uh, Luke, why don't we start with you today? So the question asked with a lot of sarcasm was, oh, why does the devil even try? Um, you know, it says that he was a murderer from the beginning. It's his nature. His nature is evil. His nature is to rail against the purposes of God. And so the defiance that's within Satan is not uh, solely tied to his hope that he'll win. It's entirely tied to his nature who he is and what he's about. And so, uh, you know, and even with him knowing the storyline of how it eventually goes, you know, I, I guarantee you he knows these verses about himself. I mean, it's like he, he can read and they're here and they're, and they're in the eternal archives and down here. And I mean, you've got Satanists and witches turning these Bible verses around on us as best as they can, you know. So I promise you Satan knows the storyline he also knows there are some moments where he gets to have a significant level of authority and, and operate. And so he, it's not entirely about his hope, though I think he probably is blinded by fury and has hope. It's not entirely about that. His nature is that he is a liar. He is a murderer. He is a thief. He is a killer. He is a destroyer. And so as much uh, leash as he has to kill, steal, and destroy in a past age, in this current one, in the next, he's going to do it. And so it, it has everything to do with his, his uh, nature and who he is. So, uh, you know, you would, 
just kind of in this whole um, you know, parallel that we're doing, you would say God is love, Satan is hate, Satan is anger and his rage and his fury. And, uh, and so he's constantly looking for expression uh, for those things. And so wherever, however, he can do that, uh, he's going to. So great question. Um, Andy. No, only because we did a whole session on hell in the book of Revelation. Um, best way I can rephrase that question is, uh, how about a little bit on the different realms? Um, so, uh, you've got, um, maybe the best way to say it is you've got heaven, the city in the heavens and you've got hell, the abyss in the earth. Okay. But these are different places with doors. And just because you're on earth doesn't mean you can go to hell. And just because you're in hell doesn't mean you can come to earth. And just because you're in the heavenly realms doesn't mean you can access heaven. So there are these, there are these places that are distinct. And so some people have described the heavens or the heavenly realms as the second heavens. And I don't think that's bad. I just don't see that uh, phrasing. Uh, that might be a different... Uh, um, uh, translation that I'm not familiar with. And it might actually say second heavens. I'm just not familiar with it. But whether it does or doesn't, you don't want to be thinking about it the way that that sounds. Because the way that that sounds is earth on bottom, second heavens is the thing in the middle, and highest heavens or heaven is up above it. Heaven is a city, and it has a geography, a, a, a astronomical point in you know, out there. It's like it's got a fixed position out in the heavens, okay? And, uh, and so then, similarly, you've got hell that has a geographical point uh, in the earth. So these are not just ethereal ideas or, or places. There's, there are these realms. But there's access points and doors. God's got access to all of it, all the time, forever. Satan has got access at different points in the storyline to different places. And not all of those points uh, uh, any longer. Um, but, but you see, eventually he's put into hell as a, uh, lock point. He's used to being able to, you know, get in there, uh, I, I'm assuming, but now he can't get out of there. So it's like, and now he's like stuck in there. He's a prisoner there. And remember it, it says that hell was created for the devil and demon forces. So it was, it was actually created for him. And so, uh, anyway, does that kind of answer some of the, Yeah. 
the, the heavens conversation. Again, I just think the term the second heavens is, I think it paints a little bit of a wrong picture that makes heaven the tallest, the highest, in some sort of like, if you're looking into the universe, way, way, way out there is heaven and everything. It's not like that. It's, it, it, heaven is a, is a city in the heavens, in the heavenly realms. You, you see the stars and things referred to as the heavenly realms, you know, uh, as, uh, as part of the language of the Bible. And so um, heaven is in the heavens. Hell is in the earth. I think that those two concepts can be helpful um, in, in helping define it. Okay, uh, question over here. So the, the Luke 10, 18 verse that we read, uh, I, just as Jesus talking, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The question is, in the context of the passage, it's evangelism, and Jesus is giving commentary because the guys are going, hey, you know, we saw demons cast out, and you know, we've been out on the streets doing ministry, and Jesus is giving kind of a twofold admonition. He's saying... I saw, like I'm, I'm eternal, I saw the fall of Satan happen. I want to let you know Satan is the loser of the fight. Satan is the loser of the battle. So yes, you're seeing right now with the moving forward of evangelism, you're seeing part of the proof of that. You're seeing part of the kingdom of God advancing. Part of the reason the kingdom of God can advance is because I saw Satan fall. So uh, that's part of, of what's being communicated as a, as a point of encouragement, but then also, yeah, of course, it, Jesus is speaking into the situation directly and being like, you know, okay, yeah, you know, pe Satan is falling out of that guy when you cast the demon out of him. You know what I mean? But, it, but it's not um, that, uh, that symbolism is secondary. It's not primary. I, I think Jesus in a primary way is actually referring to Isaiah 14, which is why I lumped the two passages together. I think, I think when Jesus is saying, I saw Satan fall... He's referring to the fall of Lucifer from his position of uh, authority as the angel of light, as, a, as a, a part in the kingdom of God, that had a, he had a role and fell from that role. And I think that that's what Jesus is directly addressing while bringing it in. Jesus all the time would divert course, take a way big left turn when the guys would start asking him questions and start saying stuff. And he would relate it back to what they were talking about because it did have impact. But when you go and you look at what he was talking about, it's like 90% a different conversation and 10% the answer to the question they were asking. I mean, but it's 90% more because they didn't have the wherewithal to talk about the stuff that really mattered. You know, so he, they're asking about the signs of the times. You know, what are the signs? And they're expecting be like, you know, and a, and a, a nobleman will be born. And this and Jesus is like, okay, let me tell you the signs of the time. It's going to be earthquakes. It's going to be famines. I mean, and they're like, huh? And then you will see the sign of the Son of Man appear in the sky. And they're like, 
huh? Like, what is, what are you, no, we're talking about the temple and like, and so that's common place for Jesus to do it that way. So good question. And over here. Yeah, so uh, how does this work if, uh, if the, what, to what degree is the Antichrist possessed or of Satan or whatever? Um, I don't know exactly, but what I can say is the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. And so that's out of 1 John. So we've got this, this revelation that the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. So what if, what if kind of like we, if we can use the, the spiritual terminology... And we talk about our friend who the Holy Spirit's moving in their life a little bit. And we're like, man, it's really cool. The Holy Spirit's on them. It's really cool. But then we've also got Reinhard Bonnke. And the Spirit of the Lord was moving on Reinhard Bonnke a lot more than your friend. And so there's, there, is, there is this uh, uh, stagger stepping of the measure of an anointing of a spirit. And so right now, the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. What about when the spirit of the Antichrist is at one out of 100 right now, and it's 100 out of 100 resting on the man, the Antichrist? Uh, and that deals with the whole omniscience thing, because the spirit of the Antichrist is, is real. And so uh, it's kind of like um, the Holy Spirit is in us, uh, but the Father is, uh, can proximity be still in heaven while the Holy Spirit's in us, you know? And so you want to kind of use those, I mean, again, antichrist. You want to, you want to think kingdom of light, flip it. And then what are the parallels? And if those parallels aren't perfect, they're, they're really helpful. They're close. You get real close to accurate when you're thinking that direction uh, and, and that angle. So uh, the antichrist will be fully demonized. We'll have the, the, his own spirit, which is in the world now, just waiting for him to come. So, I mean, just imagine the Holy Spirit in the earth and then Jesus on the planet. It's like, Holy Spirit's like, ah, finally! I get to have full expression in somebody. It's like the Antichrist spirit is going to get to have full expression in the Antichrist when he comes. And uh, so, is that mostly answered? Sort of, kind of, half, half. Lord help. All right, so worship leader, you can come on up. Uh, guys, these are good questions. And I really think that tonight, and, and I appreciate you bearing with me giving me another session in here. You didn't really have a choice because I didn't ask your permission. But, uh, but give me another session in here where we didn't go straight into the war when the war comes to earth because we did when the war is in heaven, but next session is going to be when the war comes to earth. I really think this session is going to help us contextualize that war a lot better because we can, we can really kind of understand a lot better of who the foe is that's bringing the fight. Uh, so I think that will really help us. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.